Hello, welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, and human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now, here's your host, two-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kosowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we talk about leadership, business, and human potential. I am so glad you joined us today, and we've had thousands of listeners share with us just the different nuggets that they've been getting from the show, and today is no different. Today, we have a special guest, co-founder and CEO of Serious Executives and Serious Advisors. Pam Wasley is a serial entrepreneur with multiple decades of knowledge and expert experience, expertise. I'm going to throw that one in there. My tongue was just going. And as personally sold companies, led management buyout, advised hundreds of companies on strategies for growth and higher shareholder value. Pam has served on several private boards and is a highly sought after speaker. She has been featured on prestigious publications such as Forbes, Entrepreneur, Fortune, Bloomberg Businessweek, on topics of mergers and acquisitions, the workforce of the future, and global contingent workforces. Please welcome to the show, Pam Wasley. Thanks, Deborah, for having me here today. I appreciate it. You have quite a list of things that you've done. It just blows me away. Trust me, it's uh, it's like an it's like a blur to me. I mean, everything's happened so fast, and I don't even know how I got here today. It's just it's been it's it has been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. So, if you were to, I'm just going to throw a totally different question out there. If you were to look back at where you thought you would be when you graduated from high school, let's say. Are you where you thought you would be? And the second part to that question is, what are some of the golden threads that have brought you to this point, those lessons? Okay, so uh, when I graduated from high school, I had no idea. I mean, literally, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I was clueless. So I just kind of went to college because my dad said, I'm going to college. <laughs> so um, going through college, it was interesting because I went through three years and still didn't know what I wanted to do. And then the fourth year, I took psychology. And oh my gosh, I got all A's and the statistics and everything I took in psychology. I went, this is really cool. So then I started thinking about, okay, well, maybe I'll go into management. I'll go into business. You know, maybe that's where I'm slotted to be. So uh, right out of college, I went to work for a textile company where I became a production supervisor. But I have to tell you a funny story about that. You know, here I am, psychology major, and, oh, I know everything. I went to college, so, you know, I'm really smart. <laughs> well, guess what? Um, they put me on the night shift. And they put me on a shift where there was all, almost all women, actually. And I thought, oh, okay, this, was, this should be pretty easy. Oh, my gosh, those women had worse mouths than the men. And they just, they just tore me to shreds. They're like, here comes this 
punk who thinks they know everything when they don't, and they're trying to order us around. Well, they had, they were having no, none of it. So literally, I didn't know what to do. They weren't paying any attention. They weren't doing what I wanted them to do. And I, I was, I didn't know what I really, I was just clueless. So I finally went back to them after a couple of weeks and went, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I really could use some help. I know you're really the best shift uh, in, in the, the plant right now. Uh, I'd like to be better. So how do we get there? And how, how can you help me get better at what I do as well? Oh, my gosh. You know, it was funny because there was silence through the room. And I thought, oh, no, I just, I just blew it again. And all of a sudden, the, one of them came up. And she was usually the one that was the loudest and, and talking. And she came up and said, put her arm around me and said, let me show you how it works. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> my heart was beating. And I'm like, Whew. so from that day on, it really, we became the best shift. We had the best quality with the best production. It was awesome. But I mean, I learned a whole lot about how to be a great leader. And a great leader is one that really just professes, you know, how do we work together? I don't know everything. We can, you know, we can do this better together. So it's yeah. interesting. And it really has to do with the vulnerability because you put yourself in a very, very vulnerable place to say, I don't know everything, but I am willing. <laughs> yes. yep. yeah. yeah. And I'm sure many of our listeners and viewers can relate to that. And I myself have an experience that uh, one of my uh, colleagues, when I was in management, she, when I first got in, she's like, you're going to have to prove yourself. And I was like, what do you mean I have to prove myself? Haven't I already proved myself to get to where I am right now? And, um, and I just continued to do what I was doing, but realized as time went on that I needed to change my strategies in order to get the buy-in, but also be able to be in those difficult conversations that you really don't enjoy having yes. and, and uh, really position yourself as that leader, but as a manager as well, they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily go together. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting watching entrepreneurs today or watching, you know, any company, there's a lot of leaders out there that do not like confrontation. Oh my gosh. When the situation becomes, untenable or disruptive, they just go the other direction and they just, it makes matters worse. So, you know, we work with a lot of those types of companies to get them where they need to be. And usually it's, we'll come in and assess their people to see who's, you know, if they got the right people on the bus and because they won't confront those people that aren't doing their jobs, we identify them and say, okay, now, you know, you haven't fired anybody or changed your workforce in 10 years. You're wondering why your company's not doing well. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden you let one go. Oh my gosh, the attention that gets within your company, it goes, oh my gosh, they actually fired somebody. Oh, we better start paying attention and listen to her and, you know, really, you know, start moving this company ahead with our, with our better performance. It's amazing the performance you would get, you'll get after you let somebody go. But it's all about confrontation. They just don't want to confront those people that are really disrespectful. Mm -hmm. What are some of the strategies that you've used with your company to help move people along when they have had that difficult situation? Well, you know, you, you want to help them as much as you can. 
But when it comes to the point where you can't help them any longer, I mean, either they've really reached the end of their skill set or they really don't want to do it because they're not passionate about what they're doing, then maybe it's time to part ways. And really, you can do it very amicably. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, a bad termination or you hate each other on the way out the door. And you can actually help them get another job. I mean, put the word out, say, you know, this person's looking for work and, you know, do you have, you know, do you have a position that they might go into? Because everybody's got something that they do really well. So help them find something that they're more passionate about and they really are good at. Yeah. And it's a gift. A colleague of mine said one time, if you're holding up someone's dream job, it's time yeah. to get out. Yep. If you're not enjoying, someone else is waiting for it. And uh, it's a benefit to you as well as the company. And I do know of a company that told me that when they need to let someone go, they actually do what they can in the initial process to help them along the way so that it's a uh, a very smooth transition, but to help them really go to a place that they really enjoy. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And that's when it comes to being a true human being, not just a manager or really coming down to that. Pam, I also understand that you have been this entrepreneur for a few decades. <laughs> and as most entrepreneurs know, not all ventures are successful, but you learn from failures. Tell us about some of your less than successful ventures and what you've learned from them. And looking back, would you have done anything differently? Oh yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I kind of fell into all of, all of the places I've ever gone and all the companies I've started kind of fell into it. It was just, I don't know if you call it luck, but it just, I saw an opening and I took it. So um, my first business was a success, but it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't something I was passionate about. So even though it was success, I ended up selling it. But, um, you know, it was a retail business. It was a, a businesswoman's clothier. And um, I loved putting it together. I loved, you know, the, the fashion shows we put on. I loved the, you know, everything about it except for the floor. <laughs> Waiting on customers on the floor. Thank goodness I did do one thing right, and that was I hired somebody from a big department store, and she came over and ran the store. But um, and by the way, at the same time, I'm working full time with the corporation, with this textile company, actually. Mm -hmm. So while I was uh, starting this new uh, retail store, I also was working. But so only on weekends was I in the store. But my store manager always hated when I was on the floor because, you know women are funny when they do business. I mean, I mean, when I go shopping, I go, I buy it, I get out, you know, but some women really like to shop and they, you know, they just are really good at it. So they watch the sales. So when they come back in and say, Hey, I just bought this two weeks ago and now it's on sale. I'd like to either exchange it and buy it at a cheaper rate, or I'd like to, you know, get that discount. Well, <laughs> my, my temperature just went right up. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so I, I literally learned that I couldn't deal with retail, you know, the, the consumer that just was not, that part of it was not my passion. I was not good at it. And my store manager immediately identified and says, get back to the, to the, to the storeroom, do inventory, do billing, do something, but get off the floor. 
<laughs> so I did learn that, but it, it wasn't exactly a, that was a success. But on to my next one, which was a, um, it was a telecommunications company. And actually that started off as a, oh, awesome. I mean, this, this part, I went into partnership with two other partners. One was the main partner and then we were two um, minority partners. And uh, he, this, this CEO could sell snow to the Eskimos. I mean, he was so good. So as we built this company, I mean, literally in six months, we went from zero to six million. I mean, we were on a roll. But during that six months, I got to know my partner. Um, one of my partners was just fine. The other minority partner was just fine. We got along really well. But the majority partner, I didn't know when I, met, when I started this company. That is what I regret because I should have done my due diligence on that partner because he liked to spend money. And we had raised capital from venture capitalists and oh, he went through it as fast as we could we could bring it in. Oh, so uh, literally, I mean, I could, I, I mean, the board of directors was, was not happy with this, even though we were growing, you know, we were just growing too fast. We we're spending too much money. The infrastructure under us was starting to collapse. I mean, it was just, it was just awful. And unfortunately the CEO, um, my partner would not change. He just, he just would not change. And I ended up later, I found out that he couldn't. Um, for other reasons, but literally um, that, the lesson I learned there was pick your partner, be sure about your business partner. Doesn't mean you shouldn't go in with a partner, but please know what you're getting, you know, know his, the, their integrity, know, you know, how they feel about money, know the, uh, the end game for them. No, I mean, just learn, work with them for a temporary period of time before you jump in. Because once they're partner, you can't get rid of them. Or you can, but it's, it's very, very hard. Mm -hmm. So in hindsight, what advice would you give our listeners and viewers? Um, well, really, I, and I wrote an article for Entrepreneur on this. Um, uh, I, you know, I have a list of things that you really should do. I mean, I have a business partner now, and by the way, we're both alpha females. Now, <laughs> who would think that that would work? Um, but I did my due diligence this time. So that consisted of working with her um, for a short period of time. And we worked on a nonprofit. I was the chairman of the board and she was the treasurer. Um, worked really well together. I mean, just extremely well. Um, you know, don't be cautious about hiring friends because if you hire friends, sometimes they got some, because they're friends, you can't be as straight with them. You can't be as harsh with them because they're a friend. You know, you feel sorry for them. There's some family issues going on at home. And trust me, those family issues will come back to haunt you. So try not to go into business with a friend. Um, another one is, uh, uh, you know, again, know how they feel about money. Um, you know, what their end game is. Is this, a, is this a sale at the end of the day? Or is this something lifestyle business that they want to continue to, to do for a long period of time? So um, I have a whole checklist on all the things that you need to do to make sure that you pick the right part, partner. Because again, and I run into this all the time with the companies that we, that we do business with. 
there's uh, either it's the majority partner or maybe it's a minority partner, you know, only 10%. But those 10% partners can be just as dangerous and destructive in your business as those ones that are 90%. Wow. So. <laughs> it sounds like some really good lessons and I'm sure you have many more stories. <laughs> well, I have, I had a funny thing. I had a funny thing that my business partner said the other day. She said, she said, you know, if I met you on the street, we probably wouldn't be friends. <laughs> and you know, I was kind of, what? <laughs> I was kind of taken back by that statement, but you know what? We probably wouldn't. The reason we work so well together is because um, we, we do listen to each other. We come to the table with facts. We don't come with, you know, pushy, you know, things that have no relevance or we can't back up with facts. I mean, uh, we communicate frequently. I mean, we just, we just do a lot of things that are correct that again, if I, if she was my friend, I'd be going out and having drinks with her. I'd be going out and doing, you know, with, with friends and doing dancing or to dinner or whatever. And then I get to know her too well. And, and then all of a sudden I'm, she has a problem and okay, she's not doing very well at work and her business is starting to fail. And I'm feeling more sympathy for her than I should, you know, Hey, we got to bring this business along. So it's almost better to have those feelings somewhat removed Mm-hmm. necessarily be a friendship. Yeah. So we know all business partnerships can have their ups and downs. And, and you've mentioned your business partner, she's 50-50, another alpha female. Yep. You also wrote a book with what I would love for you to tell us about and um, built a virtual advisory platform together. Why does this work and what learnings have you learned from this partnership? And I know you've already shared a, f- a few tidbits, but what got you to this point of being able to function more like a you know, machine that things can run smoothly? Um, well, there's, t- to me, there's one key thing in our partnership, and that is she likes to do all the things I hate to do. <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> So we do the other's jobs occasionally because we have to, we have to kind of help every once in a while, but we, we don't, we, you know, we don't cross those lines unless the other partner asks for help. But literally she loves operations. She loves finance. She loves back office. I mean, she loves all that stuff to make sure that once we come up with a plan that we execute perfectly. Me, on the other hand, I'm like the big space visionary. <laughs> you know, I come with all these ideas that, oh my gosh, we can do this, we can do that and do that. However, what she's taught me is when I want something, a direction I think we should be going down, I don't just come with this vision and try to woo her with the vision. I actually come with facts, statistics, research. So I kind of know what I'm talking about by the time I get there. And if I can convince her, then, you know, we, we agree to move forward. Now, sometimes we don't agree and we just, somebody has to give in and, you know, whoever has the best facts on the table, we relinquish to that person and we just move forward. But the, the key to our success really is, is being able to execute. I mean, we really, uh, one of the things that I see that we execute really well in is marketing. I mean, uh, Kristen, again, that's a process oriented. Uh, so she works with our CMO to, to really um, look at what's working, what's not. I mean, it's, it's, in fact, it's what she practices is a lot of it's in 
a book called The Lean Startup, you know, where you test before you, uh, you do A-B testing before you actually put it out there. Because I don't care what customers tell you today, they want this, 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 and this. They don't really want all that. They just want one and two, not the other 10. So you really have to be careful what you put out there. So uh, she's very good at that process-oriented test before you actually spend too much money and it fails. So that's kind of, uh, so yes, we did, we did, we did end up writing um, a book just recently and we have over 7,000 executives across the United States that we work with every year and we place on interim and part-time and project oriented jobs. And um, <laughs> we get the same questions every year. Every, every time somebody new starts uh, with our company, they they ask the same questions. So Chris and I were writing a lot of content. We were putting on on um, uh, uh, podcast uh, blogs, and we were putting it in the Entrepreneur Magazine and some other things. But we, they didn't seem to get out to the people that we wanted. You know, that were asking these questions. So we thought, okay, we're just going to write a book. We're going to give them all the insider secrets. We don't care if they think, okay, you've given us all the secrets now. We don't need you because we also have to help them through the steps. Plus there's steps in there that they don't really want to do, so they still need us to do it. But literally we gave them all the secrets. So the secrets on how to brand themselves, secrets on how to get business, uh, secrets on how to build a, a long-term relationship with a client, how to get paid, which is a big one, um, and all the legalities. And by the way, this applies to the solopreneur which is the independent executive or consultant out there, but it also applies to small companies just starting up because they too need referral business. They too need how to get paid. They too need how to brand themselves and bring in business. So it, it applies more so to the uh, interim executives or the consultants, but it applies as well to the small businesses. So that has been, we've just written it and we've just gotten it out and, um, it's, it's starting to make its round amongst all of our interim executives now. And they're like, oh, thank you for giving me all the secrets now. I have this on my desk now and I refer to it every day. So it's been real helpful to our executives. How can our listeners get a hold of that book and what's the title? <laughs> well, we came up with this really <laughs> out of the box type, type uh, title and it's called How I Fired My Boss and Made More Money. So if you go to the site, how I fired my boss, www.howifiredmyboss.com uh, forward slash millionaire women, woman, you will see that a whole bunch of the, the cheat sheets and things that we have for you. Literally, there's a cheat sheet in the back of every chapter. Well, we've made that available for this, this uh, podcast today because I wanted to share it with everybody. Again, it's the insider secrets. If you are a good executor, you can make a lot of money. So all the secrets are here. You just have to do something with them. <laughs> and, that, and that really is the secret sauce is in the execution because yeah. so many businesses yeah. fail because they can't execute. They have this grand, great idea, but they can't shift it. Exactly. There's something holding them back from just taking the action that they need to, and it could be many reasons. What could some of those reasons be? Fear. Fear is a big one. Um, uh, they don't think they're good at it, so why should I do it? Um, they might think 
oh, my competitor's doing that, so why should I bother to do that? Because they're going to win every time. Uh, they don't want to take the time. You know, it's, there's other things that are more important, which means their passion really isn't there. So there could be many reasons why they don't want to make that step. Um, and, and sometimes they just need somebody to go hand in hand with them. And we see that a lot with businesses as well. If somebody's there, a mentor, a coach, an advisor that can literally, you can call up, I'm stuck. I kind of think I know what I need to do, but I'm not really sure. Can you help me? And they knew all along what they needed to do. They just didn't do it. Yeah. So it's okay. We don't mind holding their hand and moving them to the next step because, hey, if we can help make them successful, great. Yeah, it creates a ripple effect. So you have an impact on many when you help one. Exactly. So you're known for having that keen ability to z really zero in on a business owner's challenges, telling them exactly what they need. I understand that everyone thinks their situation is so unique and different. And uh, uh, I recently did a bike ride and it was uphill <laughs> all the way. I heard that podcast, oh. by the way. Oh my oh. gosh. I w oh, I was oh reading your story. I mean, it was, it was awesome. <laughs> it was on Facebook, oh. actually. Well, yeah. in the moment, I had some sailor language. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'll have to tell you that um, we think that we're alone when we're faced with many challenges. And um, I would love to hear how you are able to often help them move through those same challenges. And what are some of those common situations that you see? Like mine was just a physical one. And, I, I, and of course, there's daily, weekly challenges that I face. But I know in business and leadership, we, even though we think we're going through it alone, other people have been there too. Yep. Well, you know, like what you went through going up that hill, it's, it's, you, you've got it in you. You just, you know, you have a little bit of doubt when you first start. I mean, it's just, can I really do this? So some of the things, some of the things that we see from our small businesses, even mid, by the way, even mid-sized businesses is, uh, I'll give you a couple examples in some different areas of their business, like sales and marketing. Uh, let's start with the sales piece of that. So they're, they come to us and they say, oh, sales is just terrible. We can't seem to generate more business. I've been at, you know, 8 million for the last three years. I, I don't know what's wrong. I just can't see it. So we sit down and we listen to, you know, how do they handle it now? What are their salespeople doing? And just by listening, it's amazing what we can hear that they don't or what we can see that they don't. So here's a couple of examples. Um, so the salespeople have to go out and get all of their own leads, all of their own leads. So don't you have any marketing that helps bring in leads that can help feed these so that they aren't starving all the time? So that's one of the areas that we identify. Another one is, um, you know, do you have the right people on the bus? Do they have the right training? Do they have the right comp plan? I mean, there's many things, the deeper you ask about a situation, the more you see it. And it's interesting because they just, they don't see it as clearly. They kind of went, well, I thought maybe it might be the comp plan, or I, I thought maybe it might be that I probably could spend a little bit in marketing, but they just don't do it. So by us actually just being, you know, somebody that listens to them. In fact, that's, 
that's all we do on the first couple times that we meet with our clients. We just listen because again, the more questions you ask, the more you listen, you can very eat because you're outside. You're an outside perspective. You, you, you don't, you're not mirrored. And, and I have to admit, I get mirrored in my business. Every once in a while, I, I need to talk to some people that can help me think outside that box because I do, I get, I get too entrenched in it. Well, that's how business owners, CEOs do too. I mean, they just, they don't see because of the forest for the trees. So they just need that outside help every once in a while. And, and I think that's actually what's helping to, to bring about some of this contingent workforce that I see happening today. You know, the, the world of, of work is, is changing. The future of work is changing. Um, people are starting to look at bringing more outsiders in to work with their inside employees. It's, it's what they're calling the new agile workforce. And it's um, fascinating because the ones that are in the company, they know the company well, they know what to do, they, they want to move the company forward, but they're not quite sure. They want to do the same old, same old, because that's what they know. So you have these outsiders come in and they start to brainstorm. They start working with these, these employees and, oh my gosh, the, the collaboration and the brainstorming and the ideas and the innovation that they come to is just awesome. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's moving companies. I mean, I'm talking big companies here. I'm talking the HPs of the world and the P and Gs in the world. I mean, these are big companies that are using this model to help them disrupt what they've been doing all along. So it's not just your small to mid-sized companies. It affects all companies today. So it's, again, it's, it, you, you, you don't see it. It's there. You just don't see it. So some, some, more questions came to mind as I'm listening to you. So it's kind of a disruptive leadership that you go in and you kind of stir the pot a little bit. I'm curious, have you faced resistance being in an external per body coming in and people are like, well, you're not going to tell us what to do. <laughs> oh yes. In fact, the big one is, oh, we have a certain culture here and you know, your person isn't going to fit our culture. So we fixed that one. So we now test all of our executives and then we have a assessment test that goes out to the client, which matches for culture, leadership style, expertise, industry, all the ideal candidate comes back in and we match it to the top five people that um, match their company culture and leadership style. So literally the people we, we now put in there, they can't really say that anymore because uh, when they meet this person, they're like, wow, you know, I really, really like this person. This is, you know, again, they're, they're an outside perspective, but they really fit in with my people and my team. They, they work well with, with me as the owner. So, um, yeah, it's, that is the biggest thing that I get from customers today. Well, you know, we've been doing things the way I've got a great leadership team. They're not going to be happy if you come on board and start to disrupt things. But now it's like, they welcome, welcome them because they do know that they're stuck. They do know that they need to do something different. And this person's not going to take their job. They don't want their job. These are, these are independent executives that love being an interim. They don't want to come on full-time. So they just come in and say, what, can, what else can I help you with or give you that you can take away and be a success? And I'll, once it's all done, I just go away. Wow. That, that's because the right fit really makes a difference and aligning with core values yes. and ensuring that 
this person really wants to be there. It's not just the paycheck that they have an invested interest in the company that they're working with. Yep. What are the, some of the most common assessment tools that you find that help put together that fit? Well, we use predictive index for all of our executives. And then we have another piece that we use for the client that's a, a little bit proprietary. Um, but it's, uh, you know, there's several of them out there. We just have been, I think it's now going on six, seven years that we've been using predictive index because it works for us. Uh, the clients like the people that we put in front of them. Uh, in fact, unlike staffing firms, you know, when you want to hire somebody, they put like, I don't know, 12, 15 people in front of you. We put one or two because, again, we're fitting for that ideal candidate, the cultural fit, the leadership style fit. Uh, plus, we're running these tests on both sides. And um, it, it, you know, it's, we don't have, again, we don't have to put as many people in front of them because they immediately go, oh, I like that person. Plus, they also remember that this is not a long-term employee. This is somebody that's, that's really good at what they do. And they come in, they get the results that the client wants, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. And I find that even when people go into an entry-level position, and, and you know it's entry-level, and people are like, why didn't they stay longer? My, I feel that my role as a leader is to help grow that person so that they can grow into who they need to be. Um, and, I, and you have to have that expectation that there will be that turnover mm-hmm. as you've helped people grow. Because yeah. for me, it would be sad that unless that's something that all they want to do is if they're happy just wanting to be in that space, that's great. But if there's those who want to grow and do more, it, I think it's our responsibility to help grow them and help shift them along their way. Absolutely. So what are some of your personal mistakes that you've made as a business owner and that you have significantly grown from? Personal mistakes. Give me an example of what you mean by that. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think it will have to do with spending because you identified that, you know, that, that partner, the majority partner, that was an issue that didn't fit with you. But is there any mistakes that you've personally made in business? And it could have been selection of partners and that was a learning. But are there any others that you're like, oh my gosh, if I, if I could do things over again, this would be the one thing that I would do. Yeah, there is one big thing, and it's it affects every entrepreneur, I'm sure, um, and that is not spending enough time or balancing your time with family, friends, and the business. Because being an entrepreneur, just being a business owner, CEO, you're passionate about what you do. You're bombarded every day with questions from clients from employees from you know trying to figure out your next move and in today's world boy you better be on it i mean you better be thinking about your next move because we don't have a lot of time to make that next move with the way technology is moving today so um so you kind of get engrossed in it all so all of a sudden you're working from five o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night you come home for dinner and you go back upstairs and then you're working till midnight um, so that was kind of a mistake I made in the earlier years because I just, um, I, I just, I, I was consumed. I think it's a good word consumed by my passion, by really what I wanted to do. And it was okay in the earlier years, my first business, because I wasn't married. 
my friends never saw me, but uh, if they came into the store, they did. But other than that, they didn't really see me. So I didn't really realize it then, but I, I do realize it now after the second business and, and now this one that I, I have to be very cognizant of giving back to my family, spending that quality time and uh, not just working all the time. So I actually put my phone down on weekends, not all the time and not every day during the weekend, but there are times when literally I don't even have it with me, which is stunning to most people. Oh my gosh, you know, you're always texting or, or sending emails or whatever. But I literally just put it down because I do tend, like everybody else, I do t when I get a text, I'm going to respond. <laughs> when I get alert, I go, oh yeah, there's a tweet. I need to tweet back. So it's very important that you spend that, that quality time and not just over, a, over your texting or over your emailing or you have bringing it to the table, to the dinner table and doing the same thing. You really need to separate that. When you go out with your family or you're having dinner with your family or you're going someplace with your family, it's your family that comes first and not your business. Sure, there are exceptions to that where you something's there's a big deal going down and you have to be alert. And even though you're taking your family to the fair or to a, you know, out to dinner or whatever, you you have to you you still have to pick up that call. So you just tell them ahead of time. I'm sorry, but I just I have to take this call or I have to watch for this. So and as long as they understand that to begin with, they're not so mad at you. But if you start doing that without telling them, oh yeah, yeah, anger starts to rise to the top quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about what about me? Do you notice that I'm here and all those things? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So really? That's a big. That's a big mistake I made early on, and I don't do so much. I literally I know when to take a break, when to take time for the family, uh, and I do try to to balance that. Even though people still say I work a lot. <laughs> so how has do, doing that impacted the way you approach your business? Um, actually has, to tell you the truth. I now kind of segment. Earlier on in my entrepreneurial years, I just kind of did things as they came along. There was no organization to it at all. And oh my gosh, planning for the next day, forget it. I had no idea what I was going to do the next day until it happened. And that's really managing by fire. So now... Every night, I make a list of exactly what I need to get accomplished the next day. I, I prioritize that list because sometimes you don't get through it all, but you take care of the priorities. And when you do take care of the priorities, you don't have your email on, you don't have your text going, you just, you just turn it off for that period of time where you need to get something done. Because as much as people say, oh, I, I'm a great multitasker. No, it's a proven fact now that multitasking isn't very productive. Or at least some of the studies show that. So, I, and I find I am more productive. I get through tasks a lot faster. It's even ones I absolutely hate to do. And, you know, they're the ones I'd really like to put off. But those are the ones at the top of my list, which I know I'm going to get done because they're right there at the top. Um, so that has helped a great deal. And then another piece, which I've just started the last probably five years, is I take a day, and it's typically Friday, and it's typically Friday afternoon when it kind of starts to slow down a little bit. I don't get quite as many calls. People are taking off for the weekend. 
And I will sit down and I, again, no text, no email, and I literally strategize. I do research. I check out on my competitors, what they're doing. I, I check to see what other new and, and cool stuff that's going on out there in other industries that actually might apply to mine. And I really, I just kind of plan. I, I look at everything and go, okay, so maybe we could do this. And I start to formulate a new vision, a new thing that we might want to take a look at. So one of the things that, you know, Chris and I uh, went towards just recently was this advisory platform. You know, we had a, a lot of businesses who come to us for help. And a lot of those businesses are small businesses. I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a small percentage are, are very small or startups. Well, we didn't want to not help them. So now we have an advisory platform where they can come on and they can pick. And the first, first time they come on, they can literally pick whoever they want. It doesn't cost them a cent. And they can talk to that person as an advisor for, you know, whatever industry they're in, whatever problem that they're having, they can pick the expert that is really good. He's done that a thousand times. He really knows what the, what the next steps should be. And he can talk through it with them. Um, and then he can go on and maybe he picks another one and, and in another area. And then maybe he goes a couple of weeks later, he needs more advice from the first one. So we now developed this platform, which makes it very easy. It's very affordable. And again, they can get that coach, that outside advisor, or even a, if you, some people call it their virtual board, mm-hmm. advisory board, because it's, it's there whenever they need it. Again, it's affordable and they, they really like the people they talk to because they really know what they're doing. And when they give them advice, it's usually in very succinct steps Here's, here's some things that you can try, try it out, get back to me, tell me how it went and we can talk some more. So they really like that. So instead of paying for a board member to come on that you have to pay $2,000 a meeting or whatever for, you have this, this advisor that you can go to whenever you want. Doesn't have to be at the board meetings once a month or once a quarter. That's awesome because they can be external but they have the knowledge base and they don't have to be necessarily in your industry. They can, right. they know how to do the work. Exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. As, you're, as you were talking, you were talking about checking out the competition. <laughs> how do you check out the competition without getting yourself into a comparison trap? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I watched the competition because you do need to be aware of what they're doing. And my philosophy is meet your competition if you can. So most of, most of my competition I have met or at least spoken to the CEO of that company. Because as they say, keep your enemies close <laughs> or your competitors close. Um, because sometimes actually they can be helpful because you're all, by the way, you're all having the same problems. It's just a matter of how they fix them. Sometimes they're willing to share. We are. Sometimes they're willing to share. But you're right. You can also get into this, well, they're doing that. I got to do that. They're doing that. And I need to do that. No, you don't want to do that. That's why it's really important to actually also go look outside of your industry. Because I've actually gotten some of the better ideas on what the next step is from other companies. Um, good, a good example is I've gotten some great ideas from Open Table. 
you know, you go open table, serious. I mean, what, it was, how do you, how does that work? But some of their failures, some of the things that they didn't do right at the very beginning, I've learned from, which now in my business, which is similar, really, it is similar. I mean, execution wise, it's somewhat similar. It's, uh, it really has taught us lessons. So go outside your industry. Don't just look at your competition. Don't do the, don't do the comparison thing because I'll tell you what, you can never keep up with your competition. Somebody's always going to be one step ahead of you and it's just going to be for naught. And maybe they're going in a direction that isn't right and they take you over the cliff with them. So be wise, you know, look at everything that's out there. Look at similar industries that you can learn from and don't just look at your competitors. Thank you for that. Uh, I know I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but great, great answer. Because I, I do think that when we start looking at our competitors and, you know, at first we might have the intention of really just being aware, but so easy that we can get pulled into saying, oh my gosh, I'm not doing that. Versus thinking that we need to be just like them and forgetting that we need to set ourselves apart. Yes. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, and, and I really liked how you talked about the focus time and putting the phone down and making sure that you're zoned in on your priorities. What is part of your morning, morning routine to really get you focused for the day and really to take charge because you're ridiculously in charge of the results that you get? So what do you do? Well, I'm up at five and the first thing I do is go to the gym um, or, or I could go bike riding or I go running. So I do something for about an hour just to, just to clear my head. And I, I can tell you, I've come up with some really great ideas during that period of time. Plus, by the way, I've really gotten into podcasts. <laughs> and, and so I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, again, I get a lot of great business advice and, and, and tips that I really have used in my business. So so that first hour is really getting away. I don't, look at, I don't look at my email. I occasionally see a text and it's somebody who knows that I get up at five o'clock in the morning and sometimes I'll answer them, sometimes I won't. But uh, so the text is the only thing I really look at and I don't get many at 5 a.m. in the morning. So after that, I come back and then I'm a big uh, social media type person. So I try to figure out, um, and I, I usually do this on Sunday, but if I read some articles in the Wall Street Journal or I read something somewhere else in Forbes, Fortune, uh, and I think it's important that I tweet it out to my followers, then I get that up and running every morning. Um, and obviously breakfast is in there somewhere. Breakfast is still the most important <laughs> meal of the day. Um, and then literally I start working. Uh, so by eight o'clock, sometimes it's earlier, especially if I have an international call or if it's a, a call on the East Coast, I'll start at seven o'clock in the morning. But I have to have that first hour of, of going to the gym, doing some kind of exercise, and then having breakfast and again, a little downtime to kind of tweet out to my followers to make sure that um, you know, I'm, I'm keeping up with them and then coming to work. Because if I don't do that, then I feel like I'm on a, um, a treadmill. I feel like I'm always trying to catch up. So if I stick to that routine, everything gets done. My priority list gets done by the end of the, end of the day. And what weren't priorities, I just move to the next day. 
So it just helps me keep organized. And trust me, I'm not the most organized person in the world, but this, this helps me drastically. <laughs> <laughs> but success leaves clues. So thank you so much for sharing those for us. Um, another question for you. Would you be willing to tell us how you raised 110 k of seed money to start serious? Yeah. Well, you know, um, for my first business, I, uh, I, re- I went to the SBA and got my first loan. So I was already, I already kind of knew how to do it. So the second business was, uh, yes, oh, or the third business was, was going out and, and raising capital for this service company. And the interesting thing was, I mean, this is, we started off as a consulting firm. So who wants to put money into a consulting firm? There weren't a lot of takers at that time. So I knew this was going to be a more difficult business. I had raised money from a VC in my business before that. So I'd raised money different ways, but this one was going to be a little bit harder because again, consulting firm. So I thought, okay, well, you know, we're a firm that is, um, we've grown to 65 people. They all want to, we're all working together, trying to bring in business for each other. And what better audience to raise capital from than these consultants. <laughs> so that's exactly what we did. We without, went without a, we went with a, um, a PPM, which is a, um, I'm going to forget what it's called now. Uh, anyway, it's, it's a, it's a memorandum that goes out and it allows you to raise capital. So we raised $110,000 amongst these consultants and there are 35 of them. And uh, it gave us the seed money that we needed to start this company. And a service company doesn't really need a lot of money to start. So 110 was just plenty. And actually, it was a good thing that, they, that we raised that capital because two years later, <laughs> um, after looking at the horizon and looking at a, another consulting firm out there, I said, this isn't working. I went back to the board and I said, we got to change direction. This is, we got to do something different. So... Since I love research, I went out and researched all the models that were out there and found this interim executive model in Europe. And they didn't mind, and I stole it <laughs> and brought it here to the United States. And there was one other firm that was kind of doing it, but only in the financial area. And I le- actually took everything that they didn't, that they were failing at, and I learned from their lessons. So literally put together, uh, rebranded the company, put together a, a new look, a new message, new branding, and in 2008, went out as an interim executive management firm. Best thing we ever did because nobody needs another consulting firm out there, but interim executive management, which by the way was unheard of back in 2008, we really, got, uh, we really had to educate people back then, but it was still the best move we made in order to be, be where we are today. Well, you created a niche. Yes, because there wasn't anything else like it in the marketplace. Right. Yep. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out right now? Well, there's a couple things. One is, unlike me, do something that you're really passionate about. Because <laughs> retail was not something I was passionate about. I didn't even like shopping, so I'm really not sure why I started that business, but it was fun. <laughs> Um, but be passionate about your business. I mean, it's, it's going to consume you. It's, it's going to take a lot of your time. So just, just make sure that it's something you really want to do. So if it isn't and you get tired of it really quickly, you're going to get bored and you're going to fail. So that's one tip. Another tip would be, um, 
make sure and any every business needs cash. So figure out how you're going to fund it. You know, if, if, if you have to go out and sell yourself and raise all the money to get your company started and, and whatever, do that. But if you can raise money, you know, absolutely go out and do that. A lot of companies can't do that. So they go to family and friends when they first start. That's a great way to do it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But make sure you have the capital to get started because I see more companies today, good companies, that they outspend their cash. And when that happens, you fail fast. So those two tips, I would say, are my top ones for, for companies that are just starting out. Pam, you gave us so many golden nuggets of information for not only leaders, managers, people in business, the entrepreneurs starting out. Um, we really appreciate you. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. But I have one more question out of curiosity. What are you reading right now? What's on the top of your ah, reading list? Oh, oh, that's funny. Funny you should ask because, oh, I have a great book that I just started reading. I'm probably halfway through and it's called The Hard Things About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Okay. And it's about building on business when there are no easy answers. And the cool thing about this, this was a guy that was the CEO of a, of a company that was failing. I mean, it was just, it was going down and it was gonna, it was gonna go bankrupt. He literally took that company and took it through an IPO. And then had some real tough times after that, after he went through the IPO, wasn't doing well again, and ended up selling for something like $1.2 billion to HP. Now, wasn't easy. There's a lot of steps that he had to take, but he had to be fearless. He literally had to just keep pushing forward, even though his mentors, his coaches, his board, everybody was telling him, hey, start talking to your attorney because you're going through bankruptcy real quick. But yeah. he just felt, he felt driven to move this thing forward and thought he could do it. So keep that positive. Sometimes you shouldn't go forward, but if you really feel it in your gut, I mean, it, okay, so you were going to fail anyway. So if you still try and you fail, it doesn't make any difference. So, but, but do try because it's, it's worth it. I mean, it's your business. You're proud of it. You're passionate about it. Try. But this, the hard things about hard things was, it's just a great book. It really, it makes me feel that I'm not alone in all the times, especially in when I first had these startups going, oh my gosh, I couldn't make payroll or, you know, some of the hard times that I've had. I mean, you're not alone. Some of the most successful people in the world today had failures. And it's about just staying focused on where you want to go. And um, yes. that's one of the things that I've noticed in the most persistent, perseverant entrepreneurs is when they have it in their gut that they know that they're going to succeed, even when people around them don't. <laughs> um, that's a hard place to be. But yeah. the reward is so sweet. Yep, it is. Yeah. So how can people stay in touch with you? Okay, so there's two ways. So there, you can go to our site, which is at www.seriousexecutives.com. But if you want some tips, you know, we, we, we love to give away stuff. We love to, to give you all the information you need to be successful. So if you want some tips, I, you can go to this website, which is www serious and by the way serious is spelled c e r i u s 
C-E-R-I-U-S executives.com forward slash uh, millionaire woman, you will get some awesome tips. Again, we all get myopic and this may all of a sudden go, oh my gosh, I'm having that problem. Or, oh, uh, that's an issue that I have within my company. It will really give some, give some clarity on some things that you might want to do to correct some things that, that will help you grow better. Thank you so much for gifting our audience. And you guys, you're going to probably have to replay this podcast and making sure that you have a paper and pen, especially if you are out running or riding a bike, um, like I would be doing too. Usually I'm running stairs when I'm listening to my podcast. Um, but physical activity for me, and it sounds like for you as well, is where you get some of your best ideas and also clear your head. Mm -hmm. So make sure you got a paper and pan, be able to write everything down. You have been such a gift. You know, we've been through the many different journeys of talking about mistakes, failures, the lessons learned, but also just getting to know you just as a person. What do you do to set up your day? What are the things that you have learned just from life? Because it's easy when you're passionate about what you're doing to get so consumed with it that you don't realize that you could be burning out. And, you know, sometimes it could be just putting your phone away and really being present. And that's all it would take. So um, any final words for our audience, Pat? Well, you know, don't give up. Um, you know, if you're passionate about something, you know, one of the shows that I really like on TV, I watch very little TV, but one of the shows I watch is Shark, Shark Tank. And, you know, sometimes they don't get the money. But, you know, it doesn't mean they, they go away and just give up their dream just because the sharks didn't give them money. I mean, if you're really passionate about it, keep it, you know, keep going. You know, it, it may not become a billion dollar company, but hey, you know, a 10 million, a 5 million, a $20 million company is very respectable and you can make a really good living um, by having a company like that. State of the vision. Thanks so much, Pam. And that's a wrap for the Millionaire Woman Show. We'd love for you to share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues, and other entrepreneurs who are in that space that you think, you know what, if they just need an extra push, they need to listen to Pam Wosley. So share this with everyone. We'd love for you to go over to iTunes, give us a five-star high five, write us a review, and help get Millionaire Woman Show up on the charts so more and more people can know about it and how it will impact others. My wish for you is, as Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And today, as always, make today great. Take care, everyone.